Good morning. Welcome, family. It's good to be with you this morning. Let me start off by saying this. Churches under pressure need wise and skillful pastoring. Churches under pressure need wise and skillful pastoring. To echo Bill's sentiments from the beginning of the service, the last few days have been um, hard, but at the same time hopeful. Um, there are things that he didn't mention in terms of ER visits and uh, families struggling at home with kids when one of the parents is in the ER and um, just the, the pressure that that puts on life. And there are probably, if we had a whiteboard up here, there are probably ways that you could say, yeah, I felt pressure in this way or these ways over this last week. Churches are always under pressure. Churches are always under pressure, but sometimes you feel it a little bit more. But let me follow that up before I get into my notes with two things. Number one is this. While churches under pressure need wise and skillful pastoring, it does not ultimately depend on your pastors being wise and skillful. Because we have a pastor capital P, who is our good shepherd who laid his life down for us. And so we rest in his wisdom, in his skill, in his sacrifice, in his life, in his interceding for us, in his reign, in his rule, and his coming soon. In him, the good shepherd Jesus Christ, we rest even when we are feeling the pressure. And I would also say this. As we've been going through 1 Peter, and he's writing to churches under pressure, if you go through and read it back on your own, note how many times Peter wants us to know, wants the churches to know, that for the Christian, glory always follows pressure. For the Christian, glory always follows pressure. So as I've spoken with you, a few of you this week, Let's anticipate, even as he generates humility in us through pressure, a dependence on him, let's anticipate the glory that he may bring soon. That we would pray for revival, that the Spirit would be poured out on his people and through his people. That the Good Shepherd would be glorified and he would be exalted and draw all people to himself. Peter wrote to churches under pressure. He summarized his whole letter in 4.19. You can turn to 1 Peter 5. 4.19, Peter writes, Therefore, let those who suffer, those who are feeling pressure, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter knows that this is who the church needs to be. When under pressure, entrust yourself to God. Continue to do good and see what your creator creates. Because he also knows that pressure doesn't always, doesn't always produce the diamonds in the church that we would hope for. And so he presents some commands, yes, commands, in these first few verses of 1 Peter 5 that we need to hear this morning and we need to obey this morning. Let me pray. Oh, good shepherd, like a Savior, lead us this morning. Precious Jesus, Send your spirit here to us this morning. 
we are yours and you are ours. And so we, we ask that you would open your, your word to our hearts. Help us to receive it this morning. Pray that my words would sink into the background, that your words would jump to the fore. Thank you, Lord. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So hopefully you're in 1 Peter 5 for now. Verse 1. So I, this being Peter, exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. The passage that Bill preached from last week helps us to remember the pressure. Verse 12, beloved of chapter 4, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We should not be shocked at pressure. We should not be shocked at suffering or trials. At the same time, we are to entrust ourselves to God and continue to do good. In light of that, then, then Peter says, and now let me talk to you about life in the church. In this flock of God. And so he talks specifically to the elders, but let me talk about Peter first. Because he says three things about himself. He's a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He offers this personal exhortation, okay, here command, this personal command to elders in light of the pressure that he's been addressing and that they are experiencing. As well as this hope for a church that entrusts themselves to the creator while doing good. And so first off, he says, I'm a fellow elder. This is an office. This is a place of appointment. For Peter is an appointment directly from Christ himself. John 21, commissioned by the good shepherd to shepherd. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. To Peter specifically. This was authority delegated by Christ himself. Peter, you are going to be an under-shepherd. The sheep will look to you for care. And he says, I'm a witness of the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep, the sufferings of Christ. So for Peter, he's thinking... If I'm an under-shepherd to the good shepherd and I witnessed his sufferings, I know the call, I know the cost of being an under-shepherd. Christ laid down his life. An elder should be willing to do the same. John 10 says, the Father, Jesus said, the Father loves me for this reason, because I laid down my life for the sheep. So Peter's saying, I saw him on the cross. I witnessed his sufferings. There's no element, elders, outside that would be too much suffering, too much sacrifice, too much given for the sake of the sheep, because our good shepherd laid down his life. Yet, Peter, I'm sure, thinks back on his weakness, his denial, even as his good shepherd was setting his face toward Jerusalem and towards Golgotha. And Peter's a, a fellow elder. He's a witness of Christ's sufferings. And I'm a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, he says. This glory to be revealed, well, Peter walked with Jesus. What was this glory that he experienced? 
How did he experience God? Well, some high points. He experienced the glory of God at the Mount of Transfiguration as Jesus invited him and James and John to go up to the mount and all of a sudden Moses and Elijah joined them. Wrapping up all the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, and God himself, the Father, says to the disciples, this is my son, listen to him. And Peter stammers and says, what should we do? Can we set up some tents? The weak response of someone beholding the glory of God, but at the same time having hands open to obey. He partook the glory of God at the cross. Why should a man go to the cross who never sinned? How could God die? Yet at the same time, a few days later, he partook of the glory of God at the resurrection. That he is alive. Forty days later, after having seen Jesus a few times, He sees Jesus ascend and he sees the glory of the resurrected Christ never to die again rising up before his eyes and the heavens open and receive him. The glory of God at the ascension that Christ is presently ruling and reigning alive, interceding, filling his church, shepherding his elders the glory of God in Christ at the ascension, and the glory of God in Christ at Pentecost. He had promised, the Father has given me the Spirit, and I will pour out the Spirit on you. And Peter, the denier, steps up in Acts 2, and the Spirit of God fills him to preach the gospel with power and with boldness and with surety, and 3,000 people that day were saved. Peter was one who had seen the glory of God and now he was saying, elders, you are fellow elders with me. Expect to see the glory of God in your churches. This is Peter's curriculum vitae, the qualifications of an apostle elder. As a fellow elder, I remind you of the high office you have been given, men, As a fellow elder, I remind you of the suffering of our shepherd. Accept, expect no less. As a fellow elder, I remind you of the glory of Christ that we will all know in full one day. Yet, as an apostle elder, with the authority of Christ given directly to me, called by the Spirit, so I now exhort you. So, Joey and Jake, Bill and Andy, will we receive this exhortation? There's Bill, there's Jake. And Joey's up there, he'll have to listen to it later. Will we receive this exhortation from Peter the Elder to be exhorted by him and subject ourselves to Christ's authority? and to Peter's authority as an apostle. So Peter then says to the elders, I exhort you, beginning of verse 1, and then move to verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So we have this one flock, John 10, but Peter is also saying you have your own flocks that are part of the flock. You are responsible elders for those sheep who are among you. 
And so I need to tell you, this is how you shepherd. I walked with Christ. I walked with the good shepherd. This is now how you should then shepherd. So EBC, even as he said, exhort the elders among you, you are the you. We are among you. You should be looking at us, thinking about us, considering, assessing us, even as we go into these commands here. Command number one. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Command one, shepherd by willingly overseeing. Overseeing is the function of the office of elder. If you elder, you oversee. Let me just ask this question. You could shout out an answer. If I asked you what a shepherd did, what would you say a shepherd does? Lead? Care? Oversee? Protect? Guide? All of these things are right, and they all fit under the umbrella of they watch over the sheep. None of us have probably been shepherds. Most of us probably haven't even been in the company of a sheep. However, <laughs> however, we all know, we all know what it looks like for a shepherd to be with sheep. And that shepherd does simply this. They willingly watch over the sheep. To which we should ask, what does it look like for an elder to watch over the sheep? By the way, when I talk about shepherding or pastoring, those are part of the same word group. When I talk about eldering or overseeing, those are part of the same word group. But those two word groups are used interchangeably in the New Testament. So if you hear those words today or if you hear them in membership class or around the church or you read about things, those are things that we understand to be the same. An elder is a pastor, is a shepherd, a shepherd is a pastor, is an elder. Okay? So, the elder watches over the local flock specifically in this way, with the word. If you look at the elder qualifications in 1 Timothy and Titus, they're, they're totally about character, about the manner of life of an elder or a prospective elder. But the one qualification, the one skill is to be able to teach. You could consider it the shepherd's staff, the word, okay? The word. So everything that an elder does, we want to, in our best, in our best shepherding, be shepherding with the word. Not our own opinions, not our own cultural understandings, but the Word. That's how we shepherd. And that we teach it. So, an elder is able to teach, and they use this staff in a few different ways to watch over the flock, the flock of God, this flock of God for us. We're not responsible for any other sheep, officially, in God's economy, in his providence, he has brought you here. And we are one flock. And he's given us the honor to be able to shepherd. So we watch over you as the flock. This involves corporate care this morning. Okay? Thank you for coming and being shepherded. Thank you for saying, yes, I will take Sunday morning and I will be under God's word. I need the good shepherd to shepherd me this morning. I need to hear from him. It also includes personal care. Those calls, those text messages, those conversations, those prayers during fellowship time, those James 5, gathering the elders together to pray over someone. These are personal realities of elder care, shepherding care, within the body. So we watch over the flock. When we get together in elders meetings, we talk about you. We talk about you because we care for you. We don't just talk about you, we talk about you and we pray for you. As elders, we at our, in our best shepherding, 
pray for you regularly, not just the times when we are meeting together. Because we love you, we care for you, and Christ prays and cares and loves us. So we watch over the flock. We also use the word to watch out for wolves. In the New Testament, it talks about wolves being false teachers. So there's a, there's a dedication to sound doctrine, to protecting the gospel, to preaching what is true. And we also watch out for the roaring lion seeking to devour sheep. You see that later on in chapter 5 here. Verse 8, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It's the shepherd's responsibility to be on the lookout. And we watch for sheep who seem to have strayed. If you flip back to 1 Peter 3, I'm sorry, 2. Look at verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Do you see what the good shepherd did? The good shepherd saw lost sheep. And the good shepherd said, I am not content to leave those sheep lost. And I will come to where they are straying and I will lay down my life for the sheep so that the Father can call them back through me to himself. He bore his sins on the tree. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not yet a Christian, he bore your sins on the tree. That means the curse that you deserve, that I deserve, he went to the cross and took the curse for you. We are cursed people, but in Christ we are now blessed people. And the outflow of that is that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For we were once straying like sheep. Account that for yourself, family of God. Remember that, that you were once, we were once straying like sheep. And if it was not for the intervention of the good shepherd, we would have walked off a cliff. But by his grace, we have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So then, we as elders, the hardest thing that we do, the thing that grieves us most, that is the hardest, is seeking after strays. Because it's not just about keeping the membership role tight. It's not just about filling a seat on a Sunday morning, but it's because there is soul, eternal soul reality at stake. And when someone has strayed, it's not ultimately about them turning their back on us. We are concerned that they have turned their back on the overseer of their souls, the good shepherd. And so as under-shepherds, what can we do other than run after and say, don't walk away? Do you understand that by His grace and His grace alone, He seems to have brought you back? He seems to recon have reconciled you and brought you into His fold. That is the place you should stay. Come back and be a sheep of the Good Shepherd with us. Don't forsake the grace of the overseer of our souls. Yet Peter here is also addressing a heart trap for elders. A heart trap for the shepherd is 
Don't oversee under compulsion. Don't do it because you have to. That's never good. Jesus in John 10 talked about hired hands. And when the wolf shows up, where do they go? They jump the fence and go that way. Because they don't actually care for the sheep. They would not lay, their, lay down their lives for them. And so, if, if an elder feels like he's eldering under compulsion, when push comes to shove, they're going to jump out the back of the fold and let the wolf have, their, have his way with them. You know, you could think, but wait a minute, so you talked about Peter getting this, getting this commission from Christ, John 21, so wasn't he under compulsion? Didn't he have to obey? Uh, well, in a way, yes. But if you read the entire Gospel of John, it becomes clear that those who love Christ obey Christ. Christ did not put the compulsion or the duty of eldering on Peter before he knew, Peter, I love you and you are forgiven. So, a shepherd, a true shepherd, a true elder, says, I'm not doing this under compulsion, I'm doing it because I'm called. And I'm doing it because I'm forgiven. I'm doing it because I love. And so I want to use that call to then send on love and care for those that Christ has entrusted to me. Not out of duty. To be honest, and I think the three other guys would say this, pray for us, because there are definitely times when our hearts are like, we got to do this. When we're tired, or when things get sticky, or when you don't know what to say, sometimes it feels like duty. Not all the time, and I wouldn't even say very much of the time. But we're living in the flesh too. Please pray for us that we'd be willing overseers. Command 2. The end of verse 2. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Notice how Peter puts the heart trap first here. The heart trap is this. Don't elder for some kind of gain. Shameful gain. It could be monetary. It could be wealth. He's going to get that book deal. Or his blog's going to blow up. Or pastors just get paid to do a... To do what do they do again? And the pastor will say, well, yeah, this is a pretty cush job. Saying, don't do it for shameful gain. Put the money to the side. This can also be a lust for influence or power for control. As we've been doing the, the elder prep um, track on Mondays with some of the guys here, the last time we talked about this specific thing and we discussed our heart idols and how our natural flesh might impact us in terms of how we shepherd. How might we worship the idols of power, control, affirmation, or comfort? How might we bow down to those things and they impair our shepherding or damage the flock? So he puts this heart trap out there. Don't do it for shameful gain. Watch your motives. But do it eagerly. Do you want a good under-shepherd? Hear him say, I'd do this even if I wasn't getting paid. Christ has put this in me. He's put this on me. You want a shepherd, an under-shepherd who cares for the sheep and not for what he'll get. The reason we talked about those idols is that 
for the four of us, if we're honest, those idols rise up in us. So pray for us that we would worship Christ and not other motives. At our last elders meeting, uh, we probably spent the first hour and 15 minutes, maybe the first hour and a half, just talking heart stuff with the four of us, praying for each other. We need grace. We need grace. Command three, verse three, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Again, he puts the heart trap out there at the front. Don't be domineering. Don't power your way through shepherding. Shepherds don't push. Shepherds lead. They're followed. Don't lord your position over the flock. Serve humbly. As Christ did, wash their feet. He gave us an example. And now Peter says, be examples. Examples to the flock. Shepherds lead. Again, they don't push. They don't, they don't... I'm not going to say that right now. I'm going to say it a little bit later. <laughs> to be honest, sometimes we want to change hearts. And you can try to maneuver circumstances or conversations or appeal to emotions or the end game of, well, if, if you just make this change, then this will happen. And, and that, can, that can tempt our hearts to faulty shepherding, to in some way trying to maneuver the flock instead of leading the flock. Instead, the sheep should be able to look at a shepherd and see Christ, not the perfection of Christ, but the desire for Christ, because you're looking past the under-shepherd and seeing him lead us. There's no place among the caretakers of God's sheep for abusive, traumatizing megalomaniacs. Those kinds of pastors disobey 1 Peter 5 and therefore disobey Christ. Listen to Luke 12. This is sobering, if nothing else is. Peter's in a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Who then is the faithful and wise manager who is mas whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Idea of the master having servants, and those servants have responsibilities. I think Jesus is talking about elders. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when the master returns. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, hmm, my master is delayed in coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. That servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. These are the words of Jesus to those given responsibility for his sheep. It's a heavy warning. Because there's one more W that overseers have, and that's to be watchful for the cheap shepherd to return. They watch over the flock, they watch out for wolves, they watch for sheep who stray, and they are watchful for the chief shepherd. We must, men, have a waiting, a waiting, eldering posture saying, come Lord Jesus. 
and point the sheep to that day and feed them in the meantime. May God have mercy in us and give us the grace to shepherd willingly, eagerly, and as examples. Let's go to verse 4 because there's a promise. Kind of lets up the command a little bit, but it actually doesn't. Verse 4 is the promise. The chief shepherd is coming. And when the chief shepherd appears, he will receive the unfading crown of glory. Yes, there is a reward coming for faithful shepherding. If we don't think, flock, that there's some understanding, not over whether we will be saved or not, but some understanding that Christ, the judge, will have of how we have lived our lives, we are sorely mistaken. That falls into the trap of thinking heaven is clouds with cherubims and nothing else. Heaven is a greater reality than you are experiencing right now sitting in our uncomfortable chairs. And we have to grapple with that. Not just that we are saved, but he has called us to die to sin and live to righteousness. To be filled with his spirit and be his witnesses. Will there be a reward for faithful shepherding? Yes. And a reward demands accountability. Christ is not an absent-minded delegator of his authority. He is himself this morning shepherding us willingly, eagerly, and as our example. And so elders have subjected themselves. We have entrusted ourselves to him, seeking to do the good of shepherding Edgewater Baptist Church. Eldering follows the chief shepherd in the way that Peter exhorts We, men, are not free to shepherd in any way that we see fit. We shepherd in these ways. I saw, boy, a powerful illustration of shepherding a couple of weeks ago. You might have remembered that in June and July of 2018, there was a teenage soccer team in northern Thailand, the wild boars, that went to celebrate a birthday in a huge cave system that they had explored a lot. And they went into the cave, and then the monsoon hit. And it blocked off their exit. They could not retreat to leave the cave, so they retreated further into the cave. When their parents came, they found their bikes chained to the guardrail outside of the mouth of the cave. Twelve young teenage boys and their 25-year-old coach. Well, as I'm sure you probably remember, the news spread around the world lightning quickly. Turns out that there had been a woman from that very town in Thailand that was visiting England. And in England, she crossed paths with another man that she had never met before, And they ended up spending a lot of time together that week. And he was a cave diver. On her way home, she lands, and this had just happened. And she calls the man she had just met and says, you need to come and help these boys. And so this man, if you ever watch it, it's called The Rescue, the documentary, National Geographic documentary. This man who would would himself say, I am an awkward man with an odd skill set. He calls his other awkward friends with with odd skill sets in South Africa and in Australia and in New Zealand and a few other guys from England, and they converge in northern Thailand. And these guys strap on their suits, and they get into the water, and they go through this cave system through torrential rains and flooding coming out at them And they eventually find these boys two and a half miles into the cave. I would suggest you watch it. If you're severely claustrophobic, maybe don't. But I want to point out is this. 
Those men showed up on the scene, and though God gets no official glory in this documentary, oh, he gets the glory. Because the providence of God's hand to bring that man to Thailand from England and all of his connections brought him to a place where he realized, if we don't save them, who will? And you can see they're tentative, but they're confident. They're awkward, but they know they hopefully have what it takes. But they're willing. And at one point, they become unwilling. And they don't exactly know how to interpret what they should do next. But ultimately, God uses them to rescue this team. Ordinary men with an extraordinary calling. If not us, who? So now I need a transition. Because so far, I've been talking to a few of you, and the rest of you have been listening in. But Peter transitions here too. Because what I want you to hear is this. These verses to the elders, and this identification that good eldering will one day be rewarded, is affirmation of God's means of shepherding through them. Hear this. I want to be very clear. At the beginning, I said churches under pressure need pastors who, who pastor skillfully. And what did that sound I say? Wisely. Thank you, Sam. What Peter is saying here is that Jesus Christ puts his stamp of approval on this type of shepherding on this type of church. It is his plan to care for his sheep. Why does this matter to the rest of you? Because, look at verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. I've spent so much time this morning because the burden of this passage is on the elders and how they shepherd. But what he is doing is he is saying, this is God's delegation of authority to care for the sheep, and sheep, you have a responsibility too. Be subject, those who are younger, to the elders. Why does he command this to the younger? Well, it could be characterized by age. I mean, you guys know, when you're young, you're often brash. You're often resistant to leadership. I am often brash. Can I still put myself in this category? I am often resistant to leadership. But it's not only age-specific. Consider your own heart. Are you resistant to leadership? Are you resistant to subjecting yourself to authority? It's not necessarily age-based. So he's saying here, be subject. But here's, here's, I think, what can be helpful in the language of 1 Peter when we begin to think about being subject to them in a Greek culture, that was an abhorrent reality. Because to be humble, to be subject, was the language of slavery. You were putting yourself under someone else. What Peter is trying to say here is that being subject ultimately is entrusting yourself to someone else who God has put in charge of you to care for you and ultimately entrusting yourself to God. Did Christ subject himself to the Father at the cross? He certainly did. Listen to chapter 3, verse 23. I'm sorry, 223. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus submitted himself to the Father. Have elders submitted themselves to Christ by obeying the call to elder? Yes, by God's grace, we certainly have. Therefore, Peter says, those who are younger, those who are uh, pushing back against authority, be subject to the elders. He's saying, 
You should expect to be shepherded. You should long to be shepherded in the word, to be watched over and cared for, to have someone else watching out for your good, watching out for wolves, watching out for the roaring lion who might seek to be devouring you, to embrace correction. When your heart strays or seems to have strayed, to desire and hope for a conversation from an elder, yes, but even from a fellow brother or sister to return again to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. To long to be shepherd and say, yes, I know life is hard right now. The pressure in your life is intense, but there is a day when the great shepherd will return and he will make all things right. Before I say the next thing, elders, we must give every reason for the sheep of EPC to willingly be subject to us. To not rule, but to lead. And to do so in the way that Peter has just said. But sheep of Edgewater, you need to hear also this. Beware of your heart's disposition to offense and stubbornness. Beware of being offended. Loving correction is not abuse. Humble shepherding from the word is not trauma. When your sin is addressed, don't assuming that being upset is a bad thing. God may be calling you to repent and to know his forgiveness afresh. We have an aversion in our culture to correction. It's because we're drunk on expressive individualism. We just want to do us all the time. Or if it involves somebody else, it's the way that we want to do something with someone else. Don't just call something abuse. Don't walk away from the church because you got your, heal- your feelings hurt. Ask the great shepherd, what are you teaching me? How are you showing me love? You know, Peter says to the elders, shepherd the flock of God among you. Maybe you're on the outskirts of being among us. Maybe you're not a member here and you've, you've been hesitant to do that because you don't know about this subjecting yourself to the elders, to the church. Well, I would say this. You need to consider some things. You're not receiving the full benefit of God's intention for your growth. Membership is intentional submission to Christ's plan for delegating his authority and humbly making disciples. So on the positive side, can I just affirm so much of the church? We are thankful for times when you approach us and say, can you tell me how I'm doing? Can you consider this question that I have or these plans that I'm hoping to make? Would you pray over my decisions Consider, I'm thinking about asking her to marry me. Or I'm wondering if he's the right guy. Where should I move? What kind of job should I have? What's the, what's the profession that he might have me moving into? He being the chief shepherd. We love it. We love it when you initiate in those ways. We love it when you say, I'm sick. James 5, would the elders pray over me? On more of the negative side, I would say, consider this. Do you desire discipleship, but without the commitment of discipline? Do you, do you desire Christ, but you're somehow convincing yourself not to conform to his created order for his body? Do you desire to follow the chief shepherd, but not to follow the under shepherds that he's given to you? 
You know, I'm so happy that I don't have to preach this hard. I echo Bill's sentiments from a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about, like, the whole mask thing. You guys are full of grace. You are full of grace. And it is an honor and a privilege to shepherd you. Peter ends with this. Clothe yourselves, all of you. He wraps up the church all together with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I truly believe that this is why we can say our church is so full of grace is because you're a humble people. You think of others more often than you think of yourselves. Continue to strap on that humility. Wear the humble wool. Let's wear the humble wool together. Humble yourselves, verse 6, therefore, to the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. For the Christian, glory always follows suffering. Glory always follows pressure. You may feel, I don't want to submit. Talk to Jesus about that. Because his promise is that though he may be using elders, suffering, pressure to create humility in you, it's just the Father pruning you. There's more grace. He promises it. For those who are humble, he gives grace to the humble. And one day, one day, he will exalt us. Jesus, thank you for shepherding us. Please continue to do so. Please continue to do so with all of your grace. Fill us with your spirit. Pour out revival on us, Lord. Help us to submit to one another and to love each other deeply. We're thankful, Lord, that you are our example. Help us walk in your ways, Jesus. In your name.